0: Welcome, by the way. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LeBurge. I learned a new term over the weekend. Paul, are you are you listening right now? Paul Perot. Oh, you're busy. He's trying to get Billy Holloway on the line. I'll do this by myself. Um, LARPing. LARPing. Anybody out there familiar with the term LARPing? LARPing was a new word to me over the weekend. Live action role-playing. Live action role-playing. Uh, people who get all dressed up and meet together and in um, public spaces like parks and woods, maybe near where you live. Um, and they live action role play uh, movies, games, genres. Uh, so they might be out there in their Games of Thrones attire. They might be out there in, they, they might be, uh, there might be a live action role play near you right now. In fact, Uh so okay, now Paul, I can I know you're available now. Have you ever heard of LARPing? LARPing. Live action role playing. Oh, that well, okay. So now back in the day so now back in the day, it would be like um uh you know, there wasn't live action, right? It was just like people playing Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Yeah. Now they're live action role playing, they're putting on costumes and they are, you know, acting like they are these creatures or beings or entities, and that they have these tools and powers, and they're actually engaging with one another in public spaces. Okay. This is, seen... this is beyond reenacting. This is... Oh, yes. Okay. This is live action role playing. Okay. In real time, in public spaces. Okay. So you're not a LARPer, apparently. N- uh, no. No. <laughs> Neither am I. No. Neither am I. So here would be the uh, the concern I want to raise for Christians today. Are you just LARPing as a Christian? Are you Ooh. treating it like a live action role play? or are you actually in? There's a difference in role-playing as a Christian, Uh, even, you know, getting dressed up and going to church and putting a little money uh, in the offering plate, which I don't know, people aren't passing a plate where I live, like, right, you put it in a box in the back if you brought cash. Um, Better to give online. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of ways to support your local church right now, and I encourage you to do so. Um, But there's a lot of people just LARPing They're putting on a show as if they are Christians, but, you know, in fact, now, and I can't judge this, right? This is God's the one who judges the heart, but that's why I'm asking the question to you as you're listening right now. Am I, am I in, am I in Christ? Is Christ in me? Is he the operating system, the primary identity? When I think about who I am and how I operate in the world is my first thought, my first thought, my lead character, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm not male nor female female. I'm not white nor black. I'm not an American nor something else. I'm not uh, I'm, I i do not define myself first and foremost by any other category or identity other than Jesus. Or am I just LARPing? Live action role-playing? All right. I got Billy Hollowell up next. I love to talk with Billy. He now works for Pure Flicks, um, but he and I have been conversation partners on a number of things for a long period of time. And his latest book is called Playing With Fire. If you've ever wondered, um, you know, okay, so the devil who appears so frequently in scripture and all those spiritual forces and and stories that I read in scripture um, about negative uh, spiritual forces, are they still operational today? If so, how do I deal with them? How do I actually recognize, uh, you know, gosh, evil and evil spirits? What does it look like to actually be prepared to engage today? The book is Playing With Fire. Billy Hollowell up next. We'll be right back.
1: You say come to the river.
0: All right, joining me now, Billy Hollowell. You can uh, find him on Twitter at Billy Hollowell. You can also find him on Facebook, Billy Hollowell. He's the author of The Armageddon Code, Fault Line, Left Standing. Today, he's joining me to talk about his brand new book, Playing with Fire. Billy, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
2: It's so good to be here. How are you doing?
0: All right, well, so I'm doing great. And as if on cue, uh, the Archbishop of San Francisco, performed a public exorcism to cleanse a protest site because he knew you were coming on the show. And he thought, I need to be supportive of this effort of Billy and Carmen to raise people's awareness of spiritual forces, uh, the existence of demon possession, and yes, exorcism.
2: Uh, Yeah, you know, it's... Well, and here's the thing. When I wrote this, when I was writing this book last year, I had no idea that it would become 2020 and that we'd be dealing with all of the craziness (laughs) that we're dealing with. It's so... It's been it's been very interesting talking about evil. I think just because we're watching so many things happen culturally, and this actually wasn't the point of the book. I do get into culture at the right. end of Playing with Fire, but um it's it's so it's so troubling to watch what is happening unfold and to watch people and not just people but institutions behave in the way that they're behaving. And so it just for me, this entire process of, of twenty twenty and then also obviously writing a book on evil brings me back to Ephesians 6. And I never really looked at Ephesians 6 very deeply. I always kind of glazed over it. But this idea that, you know, it's not a battle over flesh and blood, that there's something else going on spiritually, and that there's this battle over good and evil that we can't see, but we can see it manifest. And that to me is just, yeah, I think we're watching some of that unfold before us.
0: I think there's no question about that. So let's dig into this a little bit. Um, Is Satan real? Are people demon-possessed? Are these just scary stories? Is there really spiritual warfare? Uh, What animates the world?
2: Yeah. And I think that's the key question everybody has. Right. Because and and when I say everyone, I mean people inside the church, outside of the church. The short answer is yes. If you're to believe the Bible and not everybody does, um, you are to believe that we have good and evil and that Satan is very real. And not only is Satan real. Um, but he's active. And I think that is something I had never gone through Scripture before until I worked on this book and I, and, and really looked at, okay, what is evil? And what does Satan really look like? Obviously, we know he's, he's not a good <laughs> entity. We know he's out to kill and to destroy. And when you start to look at those Bible verses and look at the collective of what Jesus and the Gospels tell us about Satan, and then you look at how that manifests itself in the world, you can't walk away and say, oh, this isn't real. Um, and, And one of the biggest challenges, I think, for a lot of Christians is figuring out how to talk about it, right? Because you know, you look at Hollywood, and I think this is the evidence that everyone knows there's something there. Every movie that comes out in October, pretty much, and obviously this year, things look different with movie theaters, but they generally focus on evil, whether it's ghosts or demons. And of course, they're not, Hollywood's not coming at it from a theological perspective, but they're coming at it from this entertainment value of, yes, shocking people, but really shocking people with a topic that has been with us since the beginning of time, and that's whether or not there's something beyond this life, and beyond that, is there evil in the world? And we know that there is. And so um, one of the interesting things, just to kind of directly answer your question, is that 45% of people in America, so this is not just Christians, believe that demons exist and that ghosts exist. And that is very interesting to me, right? Especially in this secular culture, this increasingly secular culture that we have people coming out and saying almost half the population that, yes, we we believe in these things.
0: OK, I, I actually am surprised that's so low.
2: Well, here's the thing. Like, like I, I feel
0: is... like I yeah, I mean, I feel like people give all kinds of credence to forces, but maybe maybe if I deny it, then um, I suggest it doesn't have any power or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know.
2: I, find I think that there's low. a psychological factor there. So I think there's a psychological factor there, because when you get into and here's what's really interesting, actually, and I cover this a little bit in the book, you know, when you start asking people, have you ever had an experience with, you know, a ghost or something you believe to be otherworldly? Um, Christians are much less likely to, to say that they've had that experience. And I find that really, really? interesting for a lot of. Yeah. And and. Well, here's the thing. If you're following a Christian lifestyle and you're following what the Bible says, which is stay away from necromancy, talking to the dead, stay away from psychics. I mean, Scripture is so clear on these things, and it's kind of amazing because, again, I always knew stay away from those things, but I hadn't really isolated those Scriptures and looked at them. Don't go to psychics, all of that. Well, then you technically would— report having less of a problem with those things, right? Because you're not opening doorways to them. And so I found some of that data interesting. But when you ask Christians about this, the numbers are very high, obviously. Um, So we did a survey with HarperCollins of church leaders. And so we went out to about 1,200 church leaders. And these were people who volunteer in churches, who are pastors, who all different church roles. And we asked them, do you believe demons are um, affecting culture? I think it was 87% said yes. Do you believe demons can impact people? Over 80% of all the church leaders said yes. And so the numbers among Christians were much higher. But also, when you're asking these general questions to the public, it's very, very basic. Do you believe in the existence of ghosts? And I do think, to, what, to your point, it's very easy to say no because you could try to pretend they don't exist. Uh, but when you start getting into have you had experiences with it, again, a lot of people will say yes or that they know somebody who has.
0: All right, we have to take a very brief break. Um, when we come back, Billy, uh, I'm going to just ask you straight up, uh, how would you answer the question? Have I ever had any tangible experience with what I would consider evil spirits, evil forces? All right, that's up mm-hmm. next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: There's a ghost. There's a ghost inside of me. Not like those dreams in old bed.
0: I'm talking with Billy Hollowell. He's a journalist, um, and this is a very well-researched book. And so, I to encourage uh, you to consider playing with fire, which examines exorcism, demonic possessions, Satan in the Bible, the question of who Satan is, and all in an effort to educate, inform, and prepare readers. This is not really designed to, you know, scare. This is designed to equip. And so Billy, let me just straight up ask you the question um, about your own experience. I mean I you know it's clear that we live in a culture that is is primed to talk about these things and to and to use casual references. I mean, I even read a headline in relationship to the Amy Coney Barrett hearings that that asked if the devil was actually in the details. So I mean the the devil makes an appearance. In headlines and in our conversations, certainly in Halloween, Casper, the friendly ghost, is now featured in a Geico ad. I mean, on and on and on. Um, Have you ever had what you would consider an experience, a tangible experience, of demons, uh, Satan himself?
2: You know, it's such a good question. I have had things happen that are unexplainable and that I think, yes, my answer, my short answer would be, yes, I have, I have, and I'm a natural skeptic, even though I'm a Christian, I'm a lifelong Christian. And I believe all of this exists. When someone tells me, oh, I went through, you know, a deliverance or "I, I experienced this or this is going on in my house. I'm skeptical initially, right? I think most people are because. The reality is that exorcism itself is extremely rare, okay? So it's extremely rare. It happens. But but spiritual oppression, which I get into in the book, is something that could affect anybody. It can affect Christians, non-Christians. And so I have had moments, in fact, and I've shared this briefly in a couple of interviews, but... Um, you know, I could tell you that the day that this was not a book I was looking to write, okay, Mm -hmm. playing with fire. I had already said no to writing it once. I prayed about it. I didn't feel right about it. In this case, I sat on the book contract for two months because I really felt like if I was going to do this, it had to be something I was supposed to do. And you need to do it right because this is a very serious issue. It's not parlor games. We're not trying to scare people. I really wanted to make sure that people would walk away understanding that actually they have victory over these things and that. You know, as a journalist, I want to share people's stories. I'm not going to tell you, you have to believe them. But the day that my agent called me to tell me about this book, my wife was upstairs and um, didn't know. I didn't even know I was getting the call. She didn't know. And I had no idea they were going to be offering me this opportunity to write this. And so. He calls me, I'm working on my computer and we had had a friend who had passed away and it really bothered me because we never really had a chance to talk to this person about Jesus. And it was just something that I had vocally said to my wife, you know, oh man, I wish we, you know, you just kind of regret that, you know, that that was something Mm -hmm. you didn't get to share. And so now I can't say definitively that that's what this was, but what happened was at the exact moment that my agent calls to tell me "We're, you know, I have this book for you. They want you to do this. Are you open to doing it? Here's what they want to do. Uh, My wife texts me from upstairs and she's like, you know, the weirdest thing just happened. She said, my phone, Siri went off on my phone and it said, do you want to call so-and-so? Do you really want to call so-and-so? You know, like when you talk into your phone and say, call whoever. And it was the friend's name who had died. And it was just a very strange moment. I don't believe it was a go. I don't believe in ghosts. So I don't think people die and remain behind and haunt us. Um, but it was almost like a. it felt a little bit like kind of a, a tormenting type thing, you know, just like and it was strange. And and of course, could it have been that something on the TV made it go off that way? Yeah. But what are the odds in that moment? So I've had a lot of those moments and a lot of them in the past have happened when and I, by the way, that moment actually led me to be scared and not want to write the book, which I now know is silly, but being fully honest, I was a little afraid to write the book initially. Um, but but every time I would interview exorcists in the past or deal with this topic when I was working for The Blaze or other outlets, I would have strange things happen, um, even stranger than that. So yes, the short answer is yes. But now, and I would tell people this, as Christians, you have authority over this. You don't have to be afraid of it. If you're living a Christian life... It, it takes the name of Jesus to to overcome it, and I, and writing the book was the most peaceful process in the world, to be honest with you, which is kind of crazy, but it was.
0: So um, I have uh, – you know, I've got kids in my house, <clears throat> and so this is a kid question. Does Billy Hollowell's name have anything to do with Halloween?
2: <laughs> you know <laughs> – it's, it's like a couple letters difference, and people always bring that up, and it makes me laugh, especially now. Here we are talking about a book right? you know, around Halloween time that is about this, about this topic. But had you said, oh, you're going to write a book about demons um, and possession and, and exorcism, I would have laughed at you because I never – this was not something that – even though I've written a lot on it for articles in the past – that I really wanted to dive into, but but yes, my kids are well aware now. I have an eight- year- old she's well aware of the fact that her name is very similar to Halloween.
0: <laughs> so you so we looked it up, and your name is actually a, de- a derivative of an Anglo-Saxon tribe of Britain, um, the hollowwell family. Um, you lived near a holy spring. that was uh, yeah, and so um, you are people, you are people expected and set apart to be holy. Well look at this.
2: See, you're predestined.
0: I know. I so so there you go. The surname Hollowell, uh, a spring of holiness. A well of holiness. Like a well of holiness. I know, isn't that cool? It
2: I, is. It is I, cool. I know.
0: I'm just telling you I that um, to... everybody is in on the interview process at my house.
2: See, I, I love it. And I wanted to you know, I wanted to say one thing, because we're talking about all this, right? And You know, the the thing for me that was so that is so important, and this is kind of like with playing with fire, this is my takeaway that for me personally, and I think this is the case for everyone, it's really hard to understand the need for grace and for Jesus. Not that we can't understand it, but without understanding evil, I mean, look, really looking Mm -hmm. at what evil is and how it manifests itself and what is happening in our individual lives and in the world and being open to understanding that um based on scripture and seeing all the times that Jesus delivered people for i mean i can't think of a topic that is spoken about more in the new testament that is talked about le- you know less in churches and that's a that's a right. problem but but having said that understanding it and taking that moment points us right back to our need for Jesus and that and i think that's really important with this discussion
0: so um, Billy Hollowell's name will now be one that you remember because you're going to think of him as a well of, of, of holiness. He's hallowed. Um, his website is BillyHallowell.com, uh, which makes him easy to find. You can also follow him on Twitter. I do. And so, Billy, one of the things that uh, is frequently featured on your Twitter feed are these handwritten passages of Scripture and handwritten prayers. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Is that your handwriting?
2: Yeah, yes, I have yes, I have very girly so, handwriting which everyone no, always notes. Yeah, no, it no, is.
0: it's it's block letters, so it's really easy <laughs> to read. Are you left-handed?
2: I'm not, I'm not. People ask okay, me that a lot, but I'm not. It's interesting because your
0: letters slant in the direction of a left-handed person. So, you know, I just these are the curious questions that come up when I'm doing my uh preparation for a conversation with an author. The book is excellent and um and you've done a great job not only in sharing some first-hand accounts because I think that's important, right? Like Uh, People Mm -hmm. give testimony to their firsthand accounts of these things, and um, we could imagine that that would be like, you know, the script of a scary movie, but it's not, because this is about the power that we have as Christians, as followers of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is about um, the power we have over the evil one and the forces of evil, um, and it is about being equipped. It is about Ephesians chapter 6. This is a preparation for the spiritual warfare in which we each and all engage every single day. And part of it is uh, simply acknowledging that it is real. That it is real.
3: Absolutely and you've really helped us Absolutely. do that. So well, the book is so playing
0: much. Yeah. The book is playing with fire. Billy Hollowell is the is the author. You can also check out what he's doing with Pure Flicks. Um, I just uh, I appreciate who you are, what you're doing and the way you're going about doing it.
2: Well right back at you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Billy Hollowell, check him out. Billyhollowell.com. You can connect with the book Playing with Fire right there. We'll we'll be right back. So, we talked about um that case that John Stone Street just lifted up. Um we talked about it at the end of last week and I think that uh These need to be matters of real prayer for each and every one of us. And obviously, we talk about them here to alert you that these things are happening. But simply to know that something is happening um, isn't to do something about it. And so the most proactive thing that you could do in response would be consider supporting um, a local crisis pregnancy center in terms of coming alongside uh, a woman who does not know at this point how she would. Um, actively support um, support a child or engaging in um, a process of caring for children when their own parents are not able to do so. What might that look like um, to actually tangibly do that in our own communities alongside you know local schools? I mean what would it look like for our churches to engage in um, uh, in becoming uh, almost a replacement for foster care. I mean, what would have happened if the intervention had happened prior to the courts being involved? I think there's no question that these great-grandparents would be raising this child without the interference of the state. And so let's just be thinking creatively about those things. Let's not imagine that the way it's working now is the way that it always has to work. It's certainly not the way that it always worked in the past. And so I just want to encourage us in this time of – there's a real time of opportunity right now to – change the systems. And the only way that's going to happen is if we actually, like actually engage, not just talk about it, not just raise our awareness of it, but actually engage. So be thinking creatively about that. All right, there are a bunch of global hotspots right now around the world, and I'm going to talk about many of them with David Aikman. That's up next You're on Mornings with Carmen.
1: His disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. This is Max Locato. The disciples were too far from the shore, too long in the struggle, too small against the waves, and Jesus was nowhere to be seen. Have you ever encountered a dangerous, ominous, seemly, God-forsaken storm? Storms overtake us, and it sometimes seems they will never end. But then the unimaginable happens. John gives no details, just this economical statement. They saw Jesus walking on the water. John 6 in verse 19. That's all we need to know. Before Jesus stills the storms, he comes to us in the midst of our storms. And he'll come and meet you in yours. Remember, friend, you are never alone. My
3: name is Bond, James Bond.
0: David Aikman is back in the house. Welcome back, sir.
3: Thank you very much, Carmen. Great to be on the program again.
0: All right, always good to talk with you. So let's um let's lead off with this just really I mean it's a terrible story out of France. Um this the beheading of this history teacher. Um tell us what uh what you know about this situation at this point.
3: Well, apparently the history teacher had mentioned the Charlie Hebdo uh, shooting that took place five years ago when Islamists entered the uh, offices of this satirical French magazine and shot people up in a horrendous event. And this particular history teacher was speaking on The history of French um, secularism and freedom of expression. And he mentioned this terrible murder. And one of his pupils told his father, who told another parent who apparently had Islamist connections. And then the information got to this chap who was an 18 year old who decided that he was going to kill the man. And in fact, he was asking pupils outside the school if they could point out the teacher that he wanted to kill. And they obviously they didn't know what he was going to do. And they pointed him out to the murderer. And that's when the thing took place. And it's just a hideous activity which is happen not only in France nobody's actually chopped off anybody's head in France previously, but people have been stabbed. People have been stabbed in Germany and in England by very angry Islamists who are upset by what is being taught in school.
0: It's um it's disturbing on so many levels, uh David, um not least of which that the person who committed this act um was not on the radar at all of uh of the french authorities um this is not a person who had apparently done anything to raise awareness of himself um until he did this most m- most egregious thing it has a it's a terrorist act in that it doesn't just take the life of an individual it actually um has the effect of stifling um expression or stifling speech among those who might be inclined, like the history teacher, to actually state the facts of of a historical event, um, right. but now might be afraid to do so um, because they know that there are people who literally do not think that any of us should be allowed to say anything, um, even if it's true, uh, about their perceived prophet.
3: Yes, that that's true. I mean the the rage that Muslims are brought up being taught if anybody so much as criticizes the prophet or insults him uh, is really that's really fostered in many countries, including countries which have offered refuge to um, people fleeing terrorism in their own particular Muslim country. So it's a very sinister development. And the crime is so hideous. People have a real fear of being decapitated by any group of people, especially uh, those with very strong religious feelings, as mm-hmm. was the case with the alleged murderer who killed the teacher, mm-hmm. it's a hideous.
0: Okay, I want to. Um, I want to cover a couple of headlines from Turkey or related to Turkey um, before you and I take a break. So, Turkey has test-fired a new missile. Um, I'd like to know why we ought to be concerned about that and then uh erdogan um appears to be uh really gaining some i don't i don't know if the word is credibility but certainly some nationalist uh support um there has been someone elected in northern cyprus who is apparently an erdogan um protege uh, or certainly backed by erdogan um and and turkey's involvement in the situation in azerbaijan um, against the Armenians uh, continues to be inflamed. So, just give us a little update on what what's going on with Turkey.
3: Well, uh, Turkey fired uh, a missile that the Russians had sold them. It's the S four hundred anti aircraft missile, which is very dangerous for NATO because in in buying this missile, the Turks must have provided. Information about uh, NATO aircraft that would be vulnerable to this missile. So that's why Secretary of Defense Esper said that he was very disturbed by this development. And if the if the Turks are capable of using a missile that could shoot down NATO aircraft. Because Turkey is a member of NATO, that's an insidious threat to the integrity of NATO as an alliance.
0: All right, David Aikman and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to pivot to some headlines related to China. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So I'm reading headlines that the economy in China is roaring, described by CNN today as the envy of the world. Uh, The New York Times describing it as, um, let me click on their headline and see exactly what it says. With COVID-19, quote, under control, China's economy surges ahead, exports jump, local governments engage in a bend of debt-fueled construction projects, on and on and on. Um, David, there's a lot going on related to China Um, and the rest of the world is having a difficult time um, curbing it because the rest of the world is really consumed with COVID-19.
3: That's right. Now, China claims to have beaten COVID-19. The trouble is that China's claims about the figures of those who've been infected by the virus, and let alone people who died, are really not reliable. And China actually suffered quite a lot through restrictions on its citizens associated with the crackdown on Hong Kong and threats, of course, to Taiwan. And, Taiwan and China has basically... Uh, Xi Jinping visited a Chinese marine naval base in southern China last week. And he told the citizens of China in a broadcast from there to prepare for war. And this is very sort of blood-curdling stuff. When combined with the um, crossing of the median line between Taiwan and China in Taiwan Straits, by Chinese fighter and bomber aircraft several times in the last few days. So this is all underlining uh, a serious threat to Taiwan's viability as a state that can maintain its political and national independence from China, from the mainland.
0: So David, when we think about the the ability of or interest in let's say the united states and the eu um in doing anything related to this i mean if china determines if, if determines to have its own head in relationship to taiwan if xi jinping you know is not only telling his military to prepare for war but if he actually you know makes good on that very very public threat is is the rest of the world prepared Um, And or uh, do we have the will to curb China's sort of desire for a growing supremacy?
3: Well, I don't think uh, by the rest of the world, I don't think Europe, particularly the EU, is prepared to stand up to China for any of China's egregious violations of human rights activities in its own country and its threats to its neighboring state, India, not to mention to Taiwan across the Taiwan Strait. Europe is regarded as a soft underbelly of the West. And China thinks it it can basically take over Europe as its prime Western uh, trading partner and political ally, it will have free range to exert its political and strategic muscles elsewhere in the world. So I think Europe is playing a dangerous game, particularly the Germans, in cozying up to China in the way that they are doing.
0: Well, now that we're, um, now that we're. We've got the EU, at least in the frame of our conversation here. Um, let's talk a little bit about COVID headlines in Europe. Uh, here in the United States, we're certainly hearing lots of reports about um, uh, places where there are increased shutdowns or restrictions on movement uh, for people. What um, what are you hearing and what are you experiencing?
3: Well, Europe, all the countries of the EU And, of course, many countries outside of the EU are experiencing a second surge of COVID infection, which is actually more dangerous than the original infection that began in the spring of this year. And so in all countries, there are various forms of restriction on movement and lockdowns. Uh, In in England, for example, there is the threat of a, 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 a new national lockdown for the whole country because of the prevalence of the infection spreading at a very rapid rate in the north of England. And the mayor of Manchester is in a sort of confrontation with the government about the terms of the restrictions will have to be imposed on the area under his control and whether the government will provide enough money to support businesses and workers who suffer from the economic slowdown that will result. So it's quite a tense situation in the UK, and the spread of the virus continues in France and Spain and other parts of Europe in an unchecked way
0: so i'm uh, I'm reading this really cool report about the, um, the way that uk churches um, are you know this potentially really great network um, where they could su- supply these or serve as these like hubs in all of these local communities all across the country for, um, you know, for actually reaching people in local communities with some of the things that they might uh, need in terms of social or economic support. Um, but it suggests that just because this is like this ready-made network of uh, of places where people might both be convened or through which distributions might be made, um, that it's unlikely that uh, many of them will be reopened after the pandemic. I mean, it's just kind of astonishing to me that if you had this distribution of some 40,000 church buildings across the country, that you wouldn't be using that network, especially because it it sounds to me like the government owns all of them anyway.
3: Well, yes, the Archbishop of York, in his uh, installation ceremony at York Cathedral, basically offered to make the whole Christian community of England available to be um, servants for the rest of the country in ministering to fellow citizens of the UK in dealing with the virus, including distributing stuff, food supplies, and other necessities to care homes and to isolated elderly people. So the offer has gone out, and basically uh, the Christian church, the established Christian church in England, the Church of England, has made itself available to be used by the government in any way that can help alleviate the COVID crisis. So we'll have to see how the government responds to that.
0: Yeah, really, just just fascinating, fascinating development. Um, All right. David Aikman, as always, thank you so much. It's just fun to talk across such a range of topics with you. Um, Appreciate your being with us again today.
3: Thank you very much for having me on, Carmen. I enjoyed it very much.
0: Absolutely. Have a blessed week. We'll be right back. Friends, uh, let me encourage you today to spend time in the Word of God, I, uh, I, I like to ask, where in the word are you today? As a family, we are in the book of Romans. That is also where we are in our local church. Hey, a question uh, was raised this weekend in a conversation with a colleague and a friend, um, and it was uh, about, well, people who, you know, kind of function as trolls on social media and how negative they are and how they jump into things. And this person observed that the people who he actually knows who function in this way are also very disconnected. Um, from local congregations and local um, uh, communities of accountability in terms of their Christian uh, life. And so it, it occurs to me that we should hit the pause button and ask ourselves when someone is trolling us online or saying things online that are just patently divisive and Uh, and not only hurtful or painful to us, but to others, to actually pause and ask ourselves, is this person engaged in a local Christian community? Are they engaged in a church? Are they in a healthy church? Are they in a church where the Word of God is being preached and their uh, spirit is being formed in positive ways? People are being catechized. The question is, by whom? All right, have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.